0: All right gang, take your Bible and open to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Following the 5 books of law in the Old Testament, begin 13 books of history and 6 of them are back to back, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, and then 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Go to chapter 29. I've told you this before, but Thanksgiving is my absolute hands down favorite holiday of the year. Now, when I was a child, like many of you, it was all about Christmas. I guess that's the case for most kids. But as I've gotten older, now it's all about Thanksgiving. Uh, Today, I'm going to tell you why. It's not just because of a long weekend. There's football from Thursday to Sunday. That's fantastic. You get your whole family together, and you enjoy a first-class meal. That's fantastic. It's not nearly as hectic. You're not nearly as anxious about Thanksgiving as you are Christmas. Uh, But the real reason that Thanksgiving has come to mean so much more to me today than it used to is because of the ideas of Thanksgiving and praise. We're going to talk about that today, Thanksgiving and praise. I read where a second grader was given an assignment to write a report on the origin of Thanksgiving. Now, the second grader's family, they were church-going people, they were God-fearing people, and they loved Jesus with all their heart, and and the dad was a little concerned about this because the dad knew that the school had a pretty strong prohibition against blending religion and education. So they thought about it for a long time and they talked about it, father and son, until finally the little second grade boy came up with this. The pilgrims came here from England, England seeking freedom of you know what. When they landed, they gave thanks to you know who. Because of them, we can worship each Sunday, you know where. That wasn't all that funny in the first service either. I read about another little boy who was asked to give thanks over the Thanksgiving meal. His mother had slaved all morning long. She had worked on that bird, but unfortunately, as some of us have experienced, it just didn't turn out. It didn't smell all that good. It didn't look all that good. She was hoping that the taste would overpower the previous. So the mother asked the son, give thanks for the, the meal. The boy resisted. No, mama. Dad gave him one of those fatherly looks. The little boy looked straight at the turkey. Then the little boy bowed his head and folded his hands, and he said, Lord, I don't like the looks of it, but I'll thank you and eat it anyway. I am responsible for cooking the turkey at our family gathering every year, and i got to be honest with you, it makes me a little bit nervous. I'm not a chef. I'm barely a cook. I do it on the green egg. It's a combination of smoking and baking. It usually turns out pretty good, but not nearly as good as I would wish. Thanksgiving is our subject today, but I don't know if you've recognized this. Very often, over and over again, in both Old Testament and New Thanksgiving is often combined with praise. The two go hand in hand, and the more older I get, the more important they each become. Again, I'll be honest with you. When I was a little kid, nine-year-old Mike wasn't all that hip on Thanksgiving, and the praise that that nine-year-old Mike wanted was coming back at him, not necessarily going to someone else. That's why Christmas means the most to little kids. I mean, think about it. I'm nine years old. I can pull out the Sears wish book. You remember that? And I can make a list to Santa. I can carry that list to the mall when I sit on his lap. I can put it in an envelope and mail it to the North Pole. And voila, magically, everything I wanted for Christmas winds up in my living room on Christmas morning. Nine-year-old Mike can get behind that idea for sure. But now I see things differently. You probably do too. Thanksgiving is and praise they're different but they go together thanksgiving and praise actually reveal what's going on inside a person so look here's the main idea today i put it in the program i'll put it on the screen praise is an expression of who god is that's what praise is thanksgiving is an expression of what he's done praise is an expression of who god is thanksgiving is an expression of What he has done. Now, that seems rather elementary. I'm sure everybody can get their mind around that. But we're going to talk about that today because that's what we just finished doing. When we stand and we sing the songs that Chris chooses and the band puts together, we're giving praise to God for who he is and we're giving thanks for what he has done. That's why we clap. That's why we celebrate. That's why at the end of a song, we applaud. We're not applauding the band. Uh, we appreciate what they're doing. We appreciate the work they put into it. Maybe if you've ever been to kind of an old school church and you, you, you finish singing, you know, a hymn bringing in the sheaves. And at the very end of that song, someone in the crowd says, amen, amen, amen. That's what we're doing when we applaud. We're applauding the God about whom we are singing. We're celebrating the lyrics to the songs that have been chosen, songs of praise and songs of thanksgiving. Who is God and what has he done? Praise and thanksgiving. Did you know that how you answer those two relatively simple questions says a whole lot about you? It says a whole lot about your faith walk. Who is God and what has he done? Who is God to you? What has he done? If I gave you time to really think about it, how would you respond? Who is God and what has he done? Now, wait, before we get into that, before we try and answer that, let's answer an even more basic question that I'm certain if you've ever studied the idea of praise and thanksgiving in the Bible has come to your mind. It's certainly come to mind. Here's the question. Why are we so often instructed to offer thanksgiving and praise? Why are we so often instructed? It's not a suggestion It's not a reminder. It could be a command in some instances to offer God praise and thanksgiving. Why is that? Why is it that literally over a hundred times in your Old Testament, the subject of thanksgiving and praise comes to the surface of the text? Dozens and dozens of times in the New Testament, we're instructed, even commanded, to give praise and thanksgiving. Psalm chapter 69, verse 30, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. Psalm 95, verse 2, let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol or praise him with music and song. Psalm 100, verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Those are just three examples of a hundred or more in the Old Testament. It took me about five minutes to put that together using the resource tools I have in my office. You can do the same. Why is it so important? Those statements are echoed throughout both Old and New Testament. So why is it that God instructs us so very often to give thanksgiving and praise? Now, we can assume that it's not because God is some sort of egomaniac who needs our prayer, our praise. He needs our thanksgiving. God needs nothing from us. That's not the reason. So why is it? Well, the answer is relatively obvious when you think about it. If you have children, you know this to be true. You see, praise and thanksgiving do not come naturally to us. I am not grateful by nature. I am not thankful by nature. I prefer praise when it's coming in my direction. That's how we're wired. They're like the higher virtues of generosity and patience. Do those come naturally for most of us? Generosity and patience? Probably not. We have to be taught those higher virtues. We have to work at it. It becomes a practice in our home. It becomes a discipline that we practice. Parents, you probably never had to sit your child down and teach them how to be selfish or teach them how to be impatient with their little brother or sister, right? You don't have to waste time teaching impatience and greed and selfishness to your children. They come naturally. But you do have to beat your head against the wall over and over and over again for years to try and develop a sense of gratitude or a spirit of gratitude In your child, thanksgiving and praise are disciplines, they're practices. The reason this is so is, and remember, it's because we feel our losses to a greater extent than we feel our gains. Have you ever thought about this? Why is it that I feel my loss to a greater degree or a more intense extent than I feel my gains? It's because I'm a sinner by nature. I live in a fallen universe. Genesis chapter 3 teaches that the world in which we live is not the way it was when God originally created it. Man chose to go his own way as opposed to God's. God cursed the universe and it fell from its original glory. Living in a fallen universe, my loss will always hit me harder than my gain. Wouldn't you agree? If you take it from me, it's a far more intense feeling than if you give it to me right? If you take something from me, I feel pretty mad about it. If you give something to me, I may or may not even want it, right? That's because of the world in which we live. It's backwards. Something in me is wired exactly backwards. That's why grief that follows loss can last for so long. That's why we can grieve a loss for so long, and yet appreciation, gratitude, thanksgiving, happiness even, are momentary and fleeting. Why does God instruct us over and over and over again in his word to participate in thanksgiving and praise? Here's the answer. Because thanksgiving and praise are good for us. They're good for us. Parents, don't stop trying to teach your children thanksgiving and praise. They're good for us. Gratitude, exaltation, they actually make us happier. They actually make us more content with life. God instructs us to practice something that actually benefits us while it glorifies Him. Did you know that a 2019 study found that gratitude is linked to happiness in children by the age of five? Gratitude is linked to happiness in children by the age of five. That means the more grateful your five-year-old child is, the happier he or she will be. The study also found that in children ages 11 to 13 who are grateful, they tend to be happier, more content, more optimistic. The the study uh, demonstrated that grateful children... Have healthy self-esteem. And it's very important to any parent. So teach your kids gratitude. Adults, believe it or not, gratitude, a grateful heart, Thanksgiving makes you sleep better. Studies prove this. They make you live longer. Grateful men and women live longer. That's why I'd encourage every parent to teach your child to say the words thank you. Thank you. Now, I know what you're thinking because I've been on the other end of this thing. How is a forced thank you worth anything? You as a parent want gratitude to just bubble up from your child. Not going to happen. Probably never going to happen. You're going to have to train that discipline in your children and start them young. Because you're thinking now, if I coerce, if I force an insincere thank you, how is it helping? The research indicates it actually is helping. Furthermore, furthermore, keep at it and demonstrate it in your home. Your children ought to grow up hearing you as dad thank their mother religiously. Your children ought to grow up in a home where they see their mother thank their father quite often. More importantly, mom and dad, they need to hear you say thank you to them. Even good people struggle with this concept of gratitude. You can go to church all your life. You can be the church lady and struggle with the concept of gratitude because it doesn't come naturally to us. Good God-fearing people who say they love Jesus and go to church every Sunday struggle with thanksgiving and praise. Many, many years ago, before my hair turned gray, before the Internet was invented, Before search engines could answer virtually any question you have, before a YouTube video could teach you how to cook your turkey, the Butterball Turkey Company set up a hotline, an 800 number. It lasted from the week prior to Thanksgiving to the week after uh, Christmas. You could dial that 800 number, especially if you were a first-time turkey cooker, and you could get an expert on the other end to answer your question and assist you with your cook. One good, godly, God fearing church going lady called the turkey hotline. True story. The butterball representative answered the phone on the other end. She said, Thank you. I have a question. Can I cook a turkey for Thanksgiving that's been at the bottom of my freezer for 20 years? 20 years, the butterball representative exclaimed. She thought about it for a moment and said, Well, If the freezer's never gotten above zero degrees, if it's never been unplugged, if the turkey's never had a chance to thaw, I suppose even after 20 years, you could eat the turkey. It would be safe to consume the turkey. Then she paused for a moment and she said, but after 20 years in a freezer, I am certain that the flavor is going to have gone out of that turkey. The flavor profile in that turkey is going to have deteriorated to the point that I really don't think you'd want to eat it. And this good God-fearing woman, Sunday school teacher actually, said, good, I figured as much. In fact, I told my husband that would be the case. We're just going to give the turkey to our church. Why is Thanksgiving, why is gratitude, why is praise so important? Why is it such an important concept? How can we inspire you this week to take it to the next level? Today we're going to read about David. David had an intense desire to build God a house, to build a temple unlike anything the world had ever seen. We're going to read about how David had a plan to build the temple because David lived in an opulent castle, but God lived in a tent, so to speak. Remember from the days of the Old Testament, Moses and the children of Israel, they carried around the Ark of the Covenant, which was the symbol of God's presence, that gold chest. You pull the lid from the top and inside were the Ten Commandments and the rod of Aaron. Ever since the days of Moses, God's presence, the symbolic presence of God, lived in the tabernacle. David, if you know anything about his story, you know he was the man after God's own heart. David's story is one of sincere devotion to God. David's story is one of sincere fellowship with God. David's story is also one of frustration because, as I said, David lived in an opulent castle, a kingdom, a palace, and God lived in a tent. David set out to fix that. David was going to change that. David wanted to change everything, but God had other plans. Even though David had resolved himself to do something about this, David was going to build the temple like none no other place in the world had ever seen. God, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 8, had other plans. God didn't want David to build the temple. God wanted David's son Solomon to build the temple, and here's why. Because you have shed much blood and have fought many wars, the Bible says. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my Sight. You see, David's military prowess, he was a great leader of men. His armies had been devastating against the enemies of God. This was now working against him. So God chose David's son, Solomon, instead. God wanted a man of peace, a king of peace, not a king of war, to build his house. According to Isaiah 56 and verse 7, God said, I want my house to be a house of prayer for all nations. Now, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, David's at the end of his reign. His time is very limited. His son Solomon is going to follow him. David, since he knows he can't build the temple, is going to make all the preparations for his son and the building of the temple. Chapter 29 explains this. This is going to be a massive, massive undertaking. The first nine verses of 1 Chronicles 29 reveal that David has gathered all of the building materials and he's prepared them for the building of the temple. He's got all the special kinds of wood, they're all separated and stacked to be used by Solomon. He's got all the stonework, he's got all the iron, he's got all the 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 gold and the silver and the precious stones. David even dipped heavily into his own personal wealth to provide for the building of the temple. Early in chapter 29, you'd be shocked as you read the amount of his own personal fortune as king that he gave to build God's temple. Then he turns his sights on the elders and the leaders in Israel and he challenges them to take this process seriously. He challenges them to double down on their commitment. It's chapter 29 in the end of verse 5. David says to the assembly, now who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Now you and I in our skepticism of the 21st century may assume this is some kind of fundraising ploy But David is not simply trying to get them to give money toward the project. David probably already had plenty of money, as I said, in preparation to build the temple. It wasn't so much a fundraiser as it was a call to spiritual commitment. You're going to notice that as they consecrate themselves, now what does that mean? When you consecrate yourselves, we might say when you rededicate yourself or when you recommit yourself, What it really is, is a doubling down on your spiritual intention to honor God. I am going to honor God. Consecrate yourself. It narrows your focus in life. But you'll notice in the text, after they consecrated themselves, they doubled down, they gave, and they gave generously. There's a principle here. Often as we grow in our faith, often as we get more serious about our relationship with God, Often as our focus in this life narrows and our priorities shift, the more serious we become about our faith, the more generous we become with our resources. More on that in a minute. Here in chapter 29, David is addressing the whole assembly of the elders of Israel. I want you to listen to his sincerity. I want you to hear his passion. I want you to notice the the priority that the king places on answering those two questions. Who is God? And what has he done? Praise and thanksgiving. Look at verse 10 of 1 Chronicles chapter 29. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, so it's like he's giving a speech. Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our Father, from everlasting to everlasting. He begins his statement or his speech with a statement or a declaration of praise to God. What follows is a rich declaration of God's sovereignty, all the things for which David is thankful. Verse 11 Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and in earth is yours. Now, think about this for a moment. As king, David knew greatness. David is considered to this day the greatest king Israel has ever known. Even in his day, his kingdom was expansive. David was a great king, but this is not about David's greatness. David knew power. David had authority. The kingdom of Israel under David's leadership was a kingdom to be feared. These many thousands of years ago. David also knew glory he knew majesty, he knew splendor, but David kept it in perspective. David knew that compared to God's greatness, compared to God's power, his authority, his strength, his greatness, David was a very, very small person. David was a very, very tiny individual for everything in heaven and everything in earth is yours. End of verse 11. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom And you are exalted as head over all. Incidentally, every one of these ideas in this passage that is communicated or attributed to God the Father in the New Testament is attributed to Jesus. They're one and the same. Verse number 12. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power To exalt and give strength to all. David knows that every good gift in the world came from God. Everything good about planet Earth comes from God. James, the half brother of Jesus, in James chapter 1 and verse 17, here's how he says it Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights as a gift. Verse 13. Now, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. There they are. Praise and thanksgiving. One focuses on who God is. The other focuses on what he has done. That's our main idea today, so I don't think it's a problem to repeat it. Here it is once again. Praise is an expression of who God is. Gratitude or thanksgiving is an expression of what he's done. Church, these are two fundamental building blocks to worship. These are two fundamental building blocks to a powerfully strong faith walk. Who is God and what has he done? If your faith walk revolves around those two ideas, you will build a strong and lasting faith walk. Gratitude and praise build a strong faith walk. Here's why. Four quick things. I put them in the program and I'll quit. Number one, because thanksgiving and praise reveal the degree to which circumstances control your life. Thanksgiving and praise reveal the degree to which circumstances control your life. So what I'm saying is the people around you who know you best, when they measure thanksgiving and praise in you, it is a reflection of the grip circumstances have on your life. Now, thankfully, we live in in a place, we live in a nation We have the ability to greatly influence, even change, many of our distasteful circumstances. We can solve a lot of problems, thank God. But let's be honest. Many of your circumstances cannot be changed. Many of my circumstances cannot be changed. We have to figure out a way to adjust. We have to figure out a way to move forward Every person in this auditorium, without exception, I believe, has some set of circumstances they wish they could change. It could be an illness. It could be financial strain. It could be pressure at work. It could be a bad experience that happened to you a long time ago. It could be a dysfunctional family or trouble on one side or the other. The fact is, everyone in the room understands circumstances that cannot be changed. Everyone lives with circumstances we wish were different. You can, however, control how you respond to them. You can, however, control the grip they have on you. Gratitude and praise are what's going to help you do that. Gratitude and praise are going to lead the way Whatever your circumstance, it has been approved. It may not have been sent directly from your Father, from God, but it's been approved by your Father. He can use it for your good and His glory. That only makes sense if you're a person who prioritizes gratitude and praise. Here's number two. Thanksgiving and praise reveal the degree to which we are self-centered and selfish, The people who know you best, those in your circle of influence, people who love you, they know that the degree, the level of your thanksgiving and your praise reveal the degree to which you are self-centered and selfish. Sadly, we often examine, we often interpret every new experience, every new relationship by one standard. How's this going to affect me? What can this do for me? Now, we expect that from our children. They're only six. We get it. A six-year-old believes everything is about me, and that's the way it should be. But sadly, some never grow out of it. It's all about me. No, no. It's really not all about you. And thanksgiving and praise, as offered by other individuals, prove that it's not. You see, thanksgiving and praise reveals that your focus is not on yourself. And don't you like to be around people like that? Here's number three. Thanksgiving and praise reveal the degree to which we're surrendered to God's will. Thanksgiving and praise, the amount of thanksgiving and praise in your worship, in your faith walk, they reveal the degree to which you're surrendered to God's plan. Look, I'm not saying it's easy because it's not. We are actually instructed in this book to give thanks and praise God for difficult circumstances. Paul said, give thanks in all things. James says that difficult situations and circumstances are actually a good thing, and we ought to be grateful for them in James chapter 1. Now, I realize that many of us know Romans 8.28. We know the promise of 8.28. Paul wrote, we know that God has promised to work all things together for our good. We know that to be the case. The fact is, we don't believe it all the time. We've got a better plan. We know better. In this circumstance, God, I know better. I've got a better plan. My plan is faster. My plan's more convenient. My plan doesn't cost quite as much. My plan is easier. People who express gratitude. People who celebrate in praise are people who are surrendered to God's plan. Thanksgiving and praise reveal a spirit that accepts what God sends, what he permits, because we're surrendered to his will. We know that ultimately his plan is best, and that's what we're saying when we give thanks, when we offer praise. And the last thing, number four, Thanksgiving and praise reveal the degree to which we understand what truly matters in life. The more grateful you are, the more praise you offer, the more you reveal that you get it. You understand that certain things matter in this life and certain things don't. You understand what truly matters most. The things that matter most in life are not things that are temporary, they're things that are eternal. They're not things that are here today and perhaps gone tomorrow, they're things that last forever. It is so easy, and I'm as guilty as anybody to get wrapped up in the things that don't really matter, temporal things, while ignoring eternal things. Jesus taught us in Luke chapter 12 that the goal in life is breathtakingly simple. The goal in life, according to Jesus, is to be rich toward God, not rich toward ourselves. To be rich toward God not rich toward ourselves. Many things that matter here, many things that are so important here, they won't matter there. They're not going to matter. They're not even going to exist. And the fact is, I have a choice. You have a choice. We get to choose. I can put my time and my money and my energy and my resources into things that make me rich toward myself, things that are here for a time, but then they're gone forever. Or I can invest my time and my resources, my money, my energy into things that live beyond me, things that matter there, things that are eternal. Thanksgiving and praise demonstrate your understanding of that reality. Look, I told you earlier that David is known as the man after God's own heart, the greatest king Israel has ever known, not because of his military might, but because of his heart after God. David is called that because David understood the value of thanksgiving and praise. If you ask David, King David, who is God? He could tell you. He could tell you he wouldn't hem haul his way around sort of an off shucks answer. Pastor, I don't know much about the Bible. That's not how David would answer. If you ask King David, King, tell me about God. He could tell you. This is why God is so great. And if you ask David, what has he done? He probably had a list. Look, Thanksgiving and praise, they reveal our spiritual health. They're like a thermometer. They're like that little button on your turkey, boing, that pops when it's done. This week, when you sit down with your family and you're going to give thanks, I'm challenging you to truly give thanks. Work at developing these two fundamental building blocks that grow into a strong faith walk. Remember? Why does God instruct us? to give praise and thanksgiving answer because they're good for us. I want to end the service by giving you a little bit of time. In a moment, we're going to bow our heads, and I'm I'm going to read the beginning of a statement, and then I'm going to let you fill in the blank in the privacy of your own seat, right where you are. And then after we do that twice, I'll close in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Here's the first statement. This is you and God time. God, I praise you because I know that you are blank. God, I praise you because I know that you are blank. Here's number two. Father, I am thankful to you because blank. I am thankful to you because blank. Father, we are struck by the intensity of David's words in this passage. God, I wish those words would well up inside of me more often than they do. Father, remind us this week of all weeks of the importance of thanksgiving and praise. It is in the the name of your Son we pray these things, for whom we are eternally grateful and hope to praise Christ Jesus. Amen. God bless you, Grace Community Church. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'll see you next time.